Welcome to the Author Factor Podcast, where we break down exactly how smart business owners and corporate leaders leverage the powerful advantage of being a published book author. I'm your host, Mike Capuzzi, and you're in the right place if you want profitable nonfiction book writing tips. Have you ever met a humanity propulsion engineer? Well, you're about to. Nathaniel A. Turner is a lawyer, accountant, TEDx speaker, and author of six books and a father. And so that his son might be intellectually astute, globally competent, and socially conscious, Nate intentionally backward designed his son's life, and the results are impressive to say the least. Today, those tools, techniques, and strategies, which were initially created explicitly for his son, are educational and life development staples for people all over the country. Nate's books include Raising Superman and The Amazing World of STEM, and they both have left an indelible mark on readers worldwide. Nate, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. And I need to take you with me because you're like, like the eulogy. So that's great. I don't have to say anything. <laughs> well, listen, you also, you have a brand new book coming out, right? I do. Uh, tomorrow, actually, the book is released. It's the second uh, version of The Amazing World of STEM, a second edition. It's The Amazing World of STEM, Homes for All. Wow. Very good. I, I want to jump in. We're going to talk about your books and, and, and why you're publishing them and all that. But before we do, I'd love to hear more about who you are, what you do, who, the people you serve. And then, if you don't mind, Nate, share a bit, obviously, about this amazing journey you've taken your son on and where he is today, because it's impressive, to say the least. Sure. I'm a guy originally from Gary, Indiana, um, the product of Tommy and Gladys Turner, um, an, a graduate of Butler University and Valparaiso University School of Law in their Master's in History and Theology program. But more importantly, I'm a father, and, and because I'm a father, that's why I'm here with you today, because we did some very interesting things for a child's life, and folks started asking, well, how did you do that? And so now we've been able to share those things with, with other families. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty impressive. Can, can and Because it is, I'd love mm-hmm. to hear, if you don't mind, share no. what, you know, what you want to share, but this concept of a humanity propulsion engineer, which is your trademarked term that you've come up with, uh, yes. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, I've never, when I saw that in your bio, I'm like, you know, that's pretty cool. So what, do, what does that mean to you? Sure. Well, to be fair, Mike, what I was attempting to do was just separate myself from people who say that they're public speakers. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, or or motivational speakers. And I don't know how much I believe that anyone can give a speech that motivates someone. It can inspire you maybe for, for a few seconds, but it feels like, to me, motivation is an, is an intrinsic thing. And I don't know that you can get it from somebody else. So I thought, well, what is it that I'm really trying to do? What I'm really trying to do when I meet people are two things. One, I want to make sure people know that from my eyes, their lives matter. I don't care who you are, what walk of life you are from. I want you to feel like when you were with me that that I gave you my full undivided attention and that your life mattered. And then I thought the other thing I want to do is I want to be known as who I hope to be when my time on this planet is up. And the best way I thought I could do that is by showing people how to propel humanity forward. So came up with this ideal that I would call myself a humanity propulsion engineer. Now, you and I talked earlier, uh, you're an engineer by trade, and I have an engineer by trade and trading in my home. And he told me initially, hey, you're not an engineer. 
<laughs> and I said, yes, of course you would say that. <laughs> right. But there's a, there's a thing called social engineering, which is equally important. And I don't know that, that I need a degree to say to people that you matter and that we should all be primarily concerned about the least of us. And so that's, that's where that comes from. So before we jump in, because I want to, I do want to hear more about your son, but you, I get it. Your son has a PhD in engineering, so he's he kind does. of like he academic does. oriented. So yeah, I, I can see where he might be a little offended by uh, you calling yourself an engineer. I mean, you are a lawyer, you are an accountant. I mean, you got you've got the the initials after your name, but uh, no, I agree. I got it. You know, I think uh, it's it's it is a very suitable term for what you're doing because you are designing and you are creating plans for others to, you know, go forward. So I'm okay right. with it. I'm okay. With it. He, so is he now. He, he doesn't bother me about it. He, he thinks <laughs> a, he, he agrees with it. He likes it as in terms that it's a better term to use than just to say someone's a public speaker. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. No, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that, 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 uh, that strategy of really you know, owning something and you own that now, like you are, Nobody else in this world is probably, you know, owns that phrase. So nice job there. So Nate, I'd like to, if we may, I'd like to understand this because I've got two daughters that are getting ready to graduate college. So they're a couple years behind your son. Okay. I'm obviously intrigued by what you've done, but from what I've gathered is you were very intentional from when your son was very young to create an atmosphere, to put him on a pathway to really achieve some amazing levels of success. Can you share some of that? Sure. So, Mike, I'm from, you're, you're, you said you're some somewhere near Philadelphia. Yeah. And I am and I grew up in Gary, Indiana. And so I tell people, um, when I was in high school, my beginning, end of my sophomore year, going into my junior year, my guidance counselor told me, when he asked what did I want to do, I said I wanted to go to college. He says, you're not college material. And the best that the best that you could hope for is to join the military. And that was not that he thought I could be an officer and a gentleman. He he just thought the only people who would take me, not even the meals, because Gary was you know well known for steel meals like so like Pittsburgh. He thought the best that I could hope to do was join the military. One of my big fears was as a as a parent was that having a child that someday people try to pigeonhole what they could do. I was also at the time when my wife decided that, that she wanted to have children because I did not want to be a father initially. It wasn't until I saw The Lion King that I decided that there was a possibility for me to be a better father than my father, that there was a possibility to have a, a, a child, a father and a son could have a great relationship. Uh, but once realizing that and being in being law school and thinking about my past and, and being an, an average law student with not a lot of possibilities for the future. And I know I was going to graduate, but I wasn't at the top of my class. I wasn't at Harvard or Yale. I wasn't at a place where people said the name of the school before they said your name. And so I thought, man, like I did some, I did, obviously I did some things wrong. I'm about to get a law degree, but I'm still about also be about to be unemployed. What could I, what could I do differently for this child we're going to have? And so I wrote Harvard and asked for an application. And this was in 1994. And we got the paper application as they used to send to you. And we decided to take apart the application and found the three things that Harvard was most looking for from a student and use that as a template for the rest of his life. And so the first part of that was that, you know, Harvard looks for students who are clearly academically proficient. And so 
And they also said in the application in 94, that they were looking for students who are world citizens. And then the third element, as I said, they were looking for students who care for something greater than themselves. And so we took those three things, we've changed them now, but we call it intellectual ambition, global and cultural competency, and humanitarian driven. But that's the backdrop of what we use for his life and continue to use to this day. Quick pause. If you're here, you're obviously interested in the power of a well-crafted business book. Have yet to write your first book or thinking about the next one? Make your move. Head over to bitesizebooks.com and secure a session to brainstorm your book idea with me, Mike Capuzzi. With over 240 business leaders and entrepreneurs turned successful authors under my guidance, let's explore if we're the right fit. Your author journey begins today. Now, back to the show. So this was, I mean, this is not like, hey, I'm going to try this out for a couple of weeks or a month or two. This is <laughs> year after year being intentional, not losing sight of the goals. I mean, that's that's impressive, Nate. Yeah, there's the the truth is, Mike. Um, so my my third year in law school, I was in I was in a four year program, five year program. I finished in four. But I was in a uh, five year program. I was doing two degrees. I was doing my my JD and I was doing a master's in in history and theology. And my third year, I had an internship and I worked in Ohio for McMillan McGraw Hill School Publishing. And so they gave me a bunch of books on early child development. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know why you're giving me these books. Well, the next year I came back and my wife was pregnant. So all the books made sense. They gave me books, they gave me language tapes, et cetera. And I started to read some of those books and I found, and, I, and his name is gonna escape me now, but he has a facility, he's deceased now. He has a facility, his daughter runs a facility just outside of Philadelphia. Um, it's, it's the um, Human Achievement, it's the facility, it's the, I can't think of the name, and I'll, I'll share it with you later for sure. Um, but I started to read these books about how to give your baby encyclopedic knowledge, how to bring out the genius in your child, how to teach a baby math, et cetera. And I thought, well, and, and the babies that were mentioned in this book were children that had brain injuries. And I'm like, well, my child doesn't have a brain injury. And if they could do this, if you could teach a child with a brain injury to do math, complex math problems at 18 months and read by the age of two, then what could we do with a child that doesn't have those? So I just followed what was in the book. So essentially our son was a project and, and we would, it was a lot of trial and error. Uh, you, if you'd come over, if I'd have known you then, I, I got the real sneaky suspicion you and I would have been buds and I would have said, hey, Mike, I'm having this child. We don't know what we have in boy or girl, but listen to what we're going to do, Mike. We're not going to get a baby a name until the eighth day. And we're going to watch the baby's characteristics. And I want you to come over, Mike, because you're going to be part of my child's village. And I want you to be a part of the naming process. Because if you help name the child, you're going to also mm. feel some level of responsibility for the child. So we did a whole bunch of things that to our friends at the time, <laughs> they thought we were weird. <laughs> but, you know, but by the time he was about two and he was reading and, and, and at one, he was... We bought him his own computer and he was using his own oh computer and in two months and he spoke his first words and 11, 10, 11 months, he was speaking the full complete sentences. Then our friends were like, Hey, he's a genius. And like, no, no, no. Think about what we've been doing since the very beginning. It is amazing. Nate. It really is amazing. And then, so you're, if you don't mind, just again, whatever you're comfortable sharing, 
I'll share whatever where, where you want to So where is he today? He's how old is he today? And and just just a, a short description of the achievements that he has achieved. Sure. So before he finished, so the goal was to get him to to meet, not to get to Harvard because Harvard right has an admissions rate of about three percent, and there's no guarantee that. But the goal was to make him make sure he was prepared to apply to Harvard and not have Harvard laugh at him like they would have laughed at his father. <laughs> so my, my objective, Mike, was to get it done by 14. And my wife said, that's absolutely ridiculous. She's an, she's an educator. And she said, she said, at the time she said, no. Today, she would tell you I was right. We could have gotten there at 14. But by the time he was 14, he had his own foundation. By the time he was 14, he met the academic qualifications of a school like Harvard. He was testing in the 1%. Um, he also ran track and field. He had been a four-time track and field uh, junior Olympic All-American. Um, I think his best time as a 12-year-old in the 800 was 159 or something along that. It was a pretty good time. We had him running in meets against college students at some point. Um, he learned to speak four languages fluently. He picked up two other languages sort of conversationally. At 16, he, he told us he had had enough of high school at the beginning of his junior year and that he wanted to leave the country to chase his dream of playing professional soccer. So before his senior year began in June, while his classmates were preparing to go back to school for their senior year, he moved to Brazil and joined one of Brazil's top soccer academies and played in Brazil for about 13 months, traveled to Germany for tryouts, had an offer to go to the United Kingdom, but got a concussion. And while he was there in Brazil, he had a chance to see children who lived in real in, in another level of poverty and said, I know exactly what I want to do now. I want to be an engineer. I want to use science and technology to create tools and strategies to help people who are underserved uh, live a, a much better life. And so that's what he's been in the pursuit of ever since. And again, just because I think from an academic standpoint, it's impressive. He's got a PhD in electrical and computer engineering and he's 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 about to start as a first year mba student at nyu uh, this month wow yep has he written a book yet he's written three so <laughs> he, he wrote his first book as an 18 year old called what are we going to do today and the goal was to give parents strategies and the things that they could do with their children at least once a week that cost them little or no money and then he and i've co-written Along with our with the um, illustrator Kiva Richardson, the two um, amazing world of STEM books. That's actually, cool. actually, his book "What Are We Going to Do Today" is also there's a Spanish version because that's one of his languages. Wow. Well, first of all, Nate, I've never had a tandem father son interview like you know where I've had both. So I'll extend the invitation to your son if he's all he's an author. I'm sure he's a little cool. busy. I'm sure he's a little busy, but I would love to. I mean, impressive to say the least. I think he's inspirational. Obviously, he's inspirational. We've had, actually, we had a uh, young lady. I mainly interview nonfiction book authors, but I had to interview this woman, young lady. She was 14. She had already published over 20 fictional books. And these are like wow. major novels. These weren't little books. Yeah. And... Uh, just an amazing, she, she was, matter of fact, she did the interview before high school class. She, it was like, she was on the West Coast. So it was really early for her and uh, just a really um, impressive young lady. So uh, wow. my daughter published a book, her first and only book so far going into her senior year of high school. Okay. Um, okay. But uh, it's, I think it's, I think it's 
I think there's a lot of young folks out there that should think about being a book author. So let's talk yeah, about, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. You were saying something? No, I, I would say, I would just say I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my oldest daughter was a voracious reader like I was. I've been a lifelong reader. Unfortunately, she's not reading as much as she used to, uh, books at least. But, uh, um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's one of those challenges that you have for sure nowadays. But let's talk about your author journey, Nate. Uh, sure. you've, you've published six books, a couple with your son. Now, your books, the STEM books, the Superman book, the, are, these are illustrated books? Or just describe your, the library you've, you've published. Sure. The first book I published are just a collection of letters. That's Raising Superman. And, and Mike, to be to be fair, that book, none of this would exist. I wouldn't be here with you today if it wasn't for my son's insistence that we published those wow. letters. So so another small insight into to his childhood. Before he was born, I was writing notes about what I wanted to, to happen for this child's life. And then and then I would just keep, the, I kept the notes. And then I even had a Yahoo uh, file back in the day when I, when we used Yahoo um, about the things that I wanted him to, to accomplish. When he was two, he walks in the mailbox with me one afternoon and he said, where's my mail? And I assured him because I had student loans and, and just, we had just bought a home. I said, dude, there's, there's nothing good in the mailbox. It's just bills and junk mail. And he insisted that I give him mail. So I started writing him. Long story short, I started writing him gift cards, greeting cards, I'm sorry, and postcards. And eventually there was so much that I wanted to share. A lot of things that were coming from a place from my own childhood where there was regret and remorse and things I wanted to do better. And I wanted to share with him. And I thought I wasn't sure I would, I wouldn't mess it up. My father messed it up and I figured I was going to be the fruit of my father's tree and I was going to mess up things for my son and I. So I found myself pointing out how much I loved him and a, a postcard wasn't enough. A greeting card wasn't enough. So I started writing him letters. And one day I came home, he said, Hey, you know, I got mail for you, dad. And I said, I got mail. And I said, yeah, I know. I wrote it. And I said, man, I'm not going to write you and read to you. And he said, teach me to read. So the son learns to read from his father's letters. And now when I take him to Brazil, I'm going to drop the 16-year-old off. And many of the letters that I wrote him were about how to be, how to be an adult, because I was writing him in the future. Although he was two or three, I was writing him at 23, at 33, at 53. And so I gave him the letters. I put them in a binder, the ones I could find that wasn't in the toy chest or somewhere. I put them in a binder and I left and went to Rio. My wife called me and said, you got to go back. I go back to the academy where he is because she says he's not doing well. And I, I mean, I'm expecting him to have his bags back to come back to America with me. And he says, no, 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 I'm good. Can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, did you put the letters in any particular order? And I said, no, why? He said, because I reread the first three. I remember my purpose. I'm going to be fine. But dad, whenever I come back, here's what we're going to do. We're going to publish the letters and share them with other families. Because when you tell me I can do something, not only do I believe I can do it, I know it's going to happen. And so when he came back with the concussion, that's what he did. He did all of the work to put the book together. So that's the first book. So, okay, that's the first. Then, mm -hmm. so that was that was not an illustrated book, but you, you, your no. other books are illustrated. And just describe, who, who are they for, Nate? The only, the only illustrated books are the, 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 the uh, Amazing World of STEM, so yeah. those two books. Okay. Um, and then my son's book, What Are We Going to Do Today, and the Spanish version of that, they're illustrated. Um, 
the amazing world of STEM books are for are primarily for, for early readers, um, age three to eight. Um, but they're, I think they're also intended for parents because what we've tried to, what we try to capture in the, in the story is what we imagine communities to be like, um, that communities that take on the 17 things that the UN says threatens to destroy the planet. So this most recent book, we're taking on homelessness and how, how through the eyes of, of children, homelessness could be solved and why adults make things so complicated um, that these eight-year-old kids figure out how to resolve it. The previous STEM book was STEM learning his father um, had a broken leg and he was concerned his father wasn't going to be able to work. So he built his father an electric uh, go-kart so his father could, <laughs> could continue because his father was a postal worker so his father could continue to deliver mail. But they lived in what we call a nano community, which is something my son and I imagine building one day where all the homes are 3D printed. Everyone lives on a microgrid. We have vertical farming, right? We do you do a better job of saving the planet and the planet's resources. But so the, in some ways they're written for children, but the hope is that adults will read them with them and see what's possible. And maybe we we'll start to do something different with the planet. So is this, I assume now, it sounds like this is a long-term vision for even your book publishing uh, that you're doing. You see yourself still doing this in the future? Yeah, so uh, initially, the, the he and I had always talked about write, maybe one day writing a book together, a children's book. And when the, when the pandemic hit and he was home, um, we, I said, well, it didn't seem like a good time to do it. And, that, and we also talked about this community, this nano community, and had been talking to people. Actually, we have a blueprint of what it looked like. And we were trying to share it with adults. And sometimes adults get it and sometimes they don't. And they give you all these reasons why it can't be, why you can't do this. And I'm like, all right. So we just said, well, let's just do it through the lens of a child. And then there, and then there's so many other issues that we need to resolve. And we need to resolve for the children of tomorrow who will be the, well, the children of today who will be the adults of tomorrow. So let's start talking about how we might be able to do that. So yeah, I do imagine it's a long-term thing. There are 17 things that the UN says. So far, we've only covered we've only covered two or so. So <laughs> I guess we'll keep writing. That's awesome. That is awesome. truly awesome. So Nate, I, I typically like to ask my guests what it means to be an author, right? What has it meant to the impact that you've created for yourself, your own businesses, the, the world, et cetera? I want to ask that question. I want to ask it a little bit different in the context of, you know, what you and you you and your son have done so i'd love to hear about the impact of essentially co-authoring a book with your child and what that has meant for your relationship together and what you believe it can mean for readers around the world so i don't know if you can tell but that guy is the best thing I have ever done. And my contribution to him being here is very insignificant, right? But once he's once he arrived, I got understood the significance of his life and what my role was. So I, as I tell him sometimes, at first I was the pilot and then I became the co-pilot. And, and now I'm the I'm the happy co-pilot to be flying along to be a part be a part of his journey. So my hope is that we we continue to do this. Like this is really unique to be able to have a relationship with a child at 28 who still sees you. And I think if he was here, he would say, 
as his best friend. My son is my best friend, and I believe that I'm my son's best friend. Sometimes that's that that has its challenges, but um, I mean it's it's been great. It's been a great ride. I hope we continue to do that. And so riding with him has been has been a blast. It's been a blessing. I'm, I'm um, he he's he reminds me all the time. Like so, here it is. I pour into a child. And so that this child could be intellectually ambitious, globally and culturally competent, and humanitarian driven. And then one day, the child pours back to me. The child tells me one day, when we get back from Brazil, Mike, I'm sitting in the car and I'm crying. He's like, what's wrong with you? And I said, man, I didn't know you were going to get to this place so quickly. You know, 16, now you want to leave the country? And he said, well, you, you, know, you told me the dream, and I, this is what I'm doing. He says, well, Dad, why don't you do more? You still have time. I'm like, what do you mean do more? He said, yeah, all the stuff you've been showing me how to do, show it to other people. And so it's because he told me that. Then I had to start to reflect on what it was that I was doing. I was like, well, you know, you're right. There is more I can do. Not at the end of my rope. So what else? So now it's time for me to dream. Because I said, you know what? I don't even have any dreams. I, I stopped dreaming. I've been dreaming for you. And dreaming that I can help you make your dreams come true, but you're right. I don't have any of my own. So uh, I got that from the child who I poured into and he continues to pour back into me. Wow. Well, Nate, I mean, just in talking to you, I mean, yeah, you have, you have, in my opinion, a huge opportunity to make your own mark and, and extend this amazing thing that you guys have built. Uh, it, it's very cool. It's very inspirational. Uh, and I definitely want to thank you. So how can our listeners, Nate, learn more about you and the books? It's real simple. I mean, I've, I'm easy to find. I'm at, I'm at a, I have a website is NathanielAturner.com. So it's N-A-T-H-A-N-I-E-L-A-T-U-R-N-E-R.com. It's, I would say it's under construction. It is. You can't see it. The old the old version of the website is still present probably for about another week to two weeks, but there's a, a new version that I think gives a better perspective or representation of who I am and what, what I am moving forward. Uh, but that's the easiest place to find. You can find our books. You can find um, some videos. You can find the TED Talk. Pretty soon you'll be able to find these um, journal entries that I write every morning and that I now record to music. So you'll find a lot of stuff, ways to help kids academically and so forth. Very good. Well, Nate, thank you very much. I do appreciate your time today. And uh, again, thank you for uh, just sharing some amazing wisdom. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm grateful that you let me be a part of your show. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Author Factor podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Subscribe, tell a friend, and go grab the notes and extras at theauthorfactor.com. And to learn more about my unique short book publishing services, please check out bitesizebooks.com. See you next time.